The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 106, for June 4th, 2007. Folks, welcome to the Geek Gab, the Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm with John Braun. Hi, John. Hi, Dave. I wasn't sure if I'd make that whole greetings thing. You know, I need need to put a little throat into that. And I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to this cup of mint tea all day. I haven't been quite right. My, uh, I'm not sure if I've got something brewing or. I think it's the pollen, you know, because my my voice has been a little little rough as. Yeah, we had that keg party here at the house this weekend. Maybe that's oh. part of it. Yeah. yeah. You uh, did band, vocals. What's that? You did vocals. I sang and uh, and, okay. and play and played drums. Yeah, it was just a whole big festivity. It was great. I nice, should have uh, nice. should have invited all of you because it would have been nice. So everybody, everybody, <laughs> that's right. Why not? I mean, you know, well, we should have enough room for yeah. five or ten. Yeah, people. there'd be plenty of them. Today's uh, show is. I, oh, go ahead. I gotta blame you. You okay. know what I did this weekend? <laughs> oh, I know what you did. We can talk about it at the end. <laughs> so today's okay. show is. More of your feedback, questions that you've asked, tips that you have uh, shared with us to share with all of you, and uh, all kinds of stuff. We will start with uh, actually some networking questions. We've gotten a couple of similar ones. And Scotty writes, I'm having trouble sending things to my buddy's computer. I have an iMac Intel Core, two, Core Duo 20-inch, early 2006, and he has a mini core duo, early 2007. And when I go Finder, Go, Network, I don't see his computer. All I get is library and servers. He uses my computer frequently because my monitor is so much bigger than his, and being able to share stuff over our little network here is very useful. I installed the recent security updates, and since then, I haven't been able to connect to his computer. When I follow that same file path on his computer, I see mine just fine, and it connects as it did before, but no dice on mine. So I'm wondering what happened and how to fix it and perhaps prevent it from happening again. Hey, I can wish, can't I? I haven't changed any of my network preferences, but I have turned airport on and off and back on, seeing if this would change anything. Bupkis. So any suggestions you could give would be great. If you need any other info, I can supply it. All right. I've seen this. In fact, I experienced this here at the house and the office, you know, which are connected with the Cat5. Um, all the time, I'll go into network and not see all the computers, even though I know they're on. Mm. And so what I do is I go to Finder, go, and then connect to server. And then in there, I type in AFP colon slash slash. And then at that point, I can type in either the name of the computer because they all use the Bonjour naming. So whatever the dot local name of the computer is, uh, you know, my, my MacBook downstairs is, is just Dave. Um, my iMac in the house is iMac G5, et cetera, et cetera. So AFP colon, that's Apple Frank, uh, Apple File Protocol, I guess is, is what right. uh, what it stands for. So a- Apple File Protocol colon slash slash, just like HTTP colon slash slash, but AFP instead, and then the name of the computer. And that always works for me, even when the stuff doesn't show up in uh, in the, the network mm-hmm. listing. So that's uh, that's what I have to offer here. John, you got anything? Yeah, yeah. I think we got a few things. Um, I'll mention one here. Go to the firewall. Okay. Make sure. <clears throat> now this normally happens, but you know, if things get a little corrupted, things might be out of whack here. But if you go sure. to the uh, firewall section, make sure that uh, I'm assuming we're talking AFP or personal file sharing. Just make sure that that's also selected in the firewall as uh, you know traffic that is allowed. Yep. Through the firewall. Um, 
So that's at least one thing. It's still curious to me because, I mean, they should show up eventually. Sometimes it gets kind of pokey. When you go to network, I, I'm, you know, I don't know what you do to make things show up. Sometimes it, it takes a little while for, for the servers on the network to appear there. So your tip is right on the mark because if you know the uh, IP address and that usually comes up, you just, um, you know, it comes up in the, in the uh, sharing control panel. Yep. It'll tell you what name to type in. System preferences, we call that. Um, the, oh. you're, and you're right. You, you actually touched on something there. Instead of typing the computer name, a more direct step is actually to type the IP address. So AFP colon slash slash and then the IP, you know, 192.168, whatever. Uh, that, that's a surefire way. If the computer's accepting connections from, from you, that is a surefire way to, uh, to get through there. So. Yep, and one thing again that should get set but may not get set. So just yep. check here. Explicitly is if you go in your network uh, pane and under, and you'll notice if you have an Ethernet port or I think just about any port selected. So in the show menu, you, uh, like for example, now I have built-in Ethernet selected. Okay. There's an Apple Talk selection, and there's a checkbox: make Apple Talk active. Now I'm going to assume that because that box is checked, that's because I also. At this point in time, I'm sharing using Apple Talk or personal file sharing yep. uh, on this machine. But just make sure it is checked because if it's not, then I don't think Apple Talk is going to get through that particular interface. Maybe another one. Got it. So uh, just check that. All right. Robert has a related question, so we'll kind of let that uh, let that go. Hi, Dave. Hi, John. Um, this is Robert from Western Massachusetts. Uh, love the show. Never miss it. Uh, I have a have a situation. I have a small consulting, Mac consulting business out here, and I got a client who's got um, can't reach the, the another Mac uh, server. Um, and every time I try to do it the normal way by going to the Go menu and typing in the IP address, uh, it's I get the dialog box up there that says, "Do you want to delete the alias? Uh, server not found. Um, you know, fix alias or whatever." Uh, and I get nowhere. Um, I tried creating a new user to start with a fresh slate, and uh, that didn't help. I get the same exact situation. Uh, however, when I plug in my external hard drive and boot from it, um, there's no problem. I can then connect, put, plug in that IP address, and it gets right to it. So I guess my, my question here is, uh, Obviously, it seems to me like something is corrupt in the preferences and network preferences. So my question is, what do I delete uh, and or not delete uh, from those preferences uh, so as to not cause chaos? Um, it seems to me there should be some preferences I can delete so I can start from ground zero uh, and get the thing working. Uh, so I'd appreciate any, any tips that you might have. And... Um, you can contact me. All right. Uh, and we actually talked about this on a show not too long ago, maybe a couple of months ago. I had exactly this problem on my MacBook Pro. And you're right. You know, you I think you hit right on it because when you log in as a different user, many of the settings are refreshed. However, the network preferences are not. All the users share the same network preferences. So you need to blow away the network preferences. And... There are a couple of ways of doing it. The way I did it, and, a, a, and I think this is a fairly safe way, is to go into the network system preference pane, go to the location menu, and edit locations, delete the one that you're using, and create a new one. Don't just edit the, uh, 
the, you can, well, I guess you could try and, and delete in the show menu, you know, you can go to uh, network port configurations and delete the individual ones. But I found that that didn't solve my particular problem. I had to go and actually blow away the whole profile and, and recreate it. And that, that actually did it for me. No problem. So that, that, that's what I would recommend. Do you have any, anything else there, John? Okay. No, you kind of stole. <laughs> I, I stole your say, thunder, is... didn't I? I didn't mean to do well, that. Well, uh, that's all right. No, but, but, but yeah, that's a natural thing is delete the port, yep. which makes me kind of nervous just hoping it'll come back again. It, it well, usually comes back new. automatically without you even having to do anything. Right, if it sees the hardware. Yeah. Otherwise, you can go to new and manually, but yeah, that, that, that would kind of worry me. So. Uh, hmm. Yeah, just yeah, blow away the profile, that, the location that, profile. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff we mentioned before about, you know, firewall and making sure Apple Talk is uh, enabled and all that. I mean, some mm. other things to try would be, yeah. you know, enable maybe a different sharing protocol. Like uh, sometimes I like to do Windows sharing or you could do FTP instead. You know, just, you know, if there's some piece of equipment somewhere that you don't have control over, try another sharing protocol. Uh, I'm actually pretty happy with the Windows sharing uh, in Mac OS X. But yeah, the, uh, it actually works fairly well. Mm-hmm. Our sponsor for this show is Audible at audible.com, but if you click the link in our show notes, any of our show notes, they always have them, you get a 14-day free trial of Audible Listener Gold and, and here's the kicker, one free download uh, of pretty much any, I think, not, I don't even think it's pretty much, I think it's any audiobook that you want. These books you can listen to on your computer or pretty much any device that you could listen to this podcast on, an iPod, your Trio, uh, obviously burn them to CD, listen to them in your car, whatever you like. Uh, they've got over 35,000 titles to choose from, lots of Mac stuff, comedy, any genre. It, whatever you like, they've, they've, they've got it. Uh, audible.com, but do, please make sure you click the link in the show notes to get that free download and try it out. And with that, we move on to Steve and... Uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting solution to Larry's problem from last week, and we'll actually talk about Larry's solution. But uh, but let's. Hey, John and Dave, great show. Steve, as coming to you from uh, on the road in Nebraska, uh, listening to the last show about the uh, uh, Power Mac G5 with the crashing on waking from sleep. My uh, eMac class earlier this year was having all kinds of sleep issues, and it weirdly wouldn't go to sleep. Uh, racked my brains, did all kinds of tests. Uh, I couldn't figure it out until way back in the back depths of my memory came PRAM battery. PRAM battery. Having been on laptops for so long, I forgot all about them. Replaced that sucker, and it uh, has been working like a charm ever since. So uh, see if that uh, helps the guy out. Uh, thanks for the show. Good day. That that's an interesting solution. Uh, the PRAM battery is definitely the causer of many little bits of uh, of distress. I know you and oh, I have both yes. seen that over the years, John. Yeah, I think the uh, the symptom I would mostly see in the older older Macs is that it was used to power the uh, uh, among other things the bus that the keyboard was connected to, and of course the keyboard had the on off button. So if the battery got too low, there wasn't enough juice to detect that you wanted the computer to turn on. Is that right? Very, in some configurations, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I never I never put two and two together on that. Of course that was what it was. It was powering the bus. Yeah, there was a circuit oh, that would yeah. 
you had to power it so it knew that you pressed the button saying please turn on so you got in this terrible and it, uh, i t- still think to this day it's a 3.6 volt battery little lithium battery yep. i think yep purple and, uh, radio shack is one of the places that always has them um, yeah thank goodness but it's so infrequent. But yeah, the first time it was one of my actually Power Center Pros, one of the older Mac clones. And one day I tried to turn it on and it didn't. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> I always thought it was and just I got a the... voltmeter and checked the battery and yeah. it was dead. Like a or below 3.6. Enough right. below where, uh, yeah, it was bad news. But I remember that with the, with a lot of the, uh, you know, a certain run of Macs. It was really neat. You could turn the machine on without, you know, having to flip a physical switch. But... Yeah, that was nice. Um, now if you, uh, with, with the battery dead, could you still turn it on from the front or was it totally dead? No, I don't think that was in the same circuit. So I think okay. yeah, they, they had a different switch on the front. So it was only through the keyboard. Interesting. I never realized that. Ah. But there was also that point in time where there were so many different Mac models. It was kind of, kind of oh, hard to say. But, I, um, yeah, it was ridiculous. But yeah, now I believe that we're talking something a little different when you're talking the portables, and I'm not too clear on this. I don't know if you've looked into this, but on almost every desktop Mac that I've seen, and PCs for that matter, you have some sort of battery maintains something. Now, the portables... They have the same kind of thing. I think they have something, but it's rechargeable. That's right. Uh, typically, so that it doesn't die, and you're, you know, as we talked in our last episode, uh, taking apart certain Macs and getting to that battery is uh, yep. not something for the faint of heart. Yep. So that that's... That is a potential solution for Larry's problem. However, Larry wrote in with the solution. You want to take that for us, John? Well, I do believe the, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but if I remember what I read, he basically said that he, uh, you know, took one of our pieces of advice uh, and created a new user. He created a new user. It didn't happen anymore. Ooh. So Uh then he started looking back through things he recently installed, and I believe it was uh, a corrupted file in NetNewsWire Lite. So by yanking that and I guess reinstalling it, all was well. Excellent. So, um, so, you know, but hats off to the people at Apple because that's one of the things that they always, when you call in, almost always, you know, if it sounds software related, say, create a new user. Does yeah. it still happen? Yeah. So no, it's we're, good. we're glad that worked out. But the battery, that that's another excellent, excellent uh, suggestion. Going back to Stefan from our previous sh- or the last show where he was looking to get a solution to his girlfriend's computer indexing or his girlfriend's account indexing his private data on his uh, on his encrypted drive. And he actually found the solution. He says, I just keep my private data in an encrypted image. It's not file vault, but an extra image, which I just dragged into the startup items. So it's like a separate drive with its own file system. Solving the problem was actually quite simple. Of course, it always is once you know the answer. Uh, I stumbled upon the solution by unchecking the box, ignore ownership on this volume. After that, Spotlight did not find my stuff anymore. That and a chmod, uh, the, the same uh, permission changing command we talked about last time, uh, which you could also do in the finder get info, to be on the safe side did the job. I guess that with the checkbox ticked, ticked, anything you do with changing permissions on that volume will be applied, but sufficiently ignored by the system. And he's right. Yeah, you can do all sorts of permission stuff, but if it's seeing it as an external drive, it allows you to check that box and by default checks that box and will therefore ignore permissions, which is uh, interesting. I, I'm guessing if he had used File Vault, which I had assumed he was using, that it probably would have not uh, ignored permissions given uh, the nature of what File Vault does. But of course, it didn't know. It was just an image and it didn't know what to do. So yeah. it took it by and- default. Yep. I, I like more of these social 
way of solving the problem is to either buy a new computer, one additional computer, or one less girlfriend. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Though I think getting an additional computer is probably will work out better for just about everybody. I think I would. I. I I'm just. I'm, She's I'm speechless, deadly, isn't she? <laughs> uh, Jason writes. I have a four-year-old original dual 1.8 gigahertz Power Mac G5. I want to replace it with a Mac Pro this year, but that won't be for some months. And I'd like to improve the performance. Yeah, the performance of the G5. In the meantime, I've got one gig of RAM, 600 gigs of storage across two RAID-striped hard drives, and a pretty clean Tiger build of about two months ago. It sometimes takes a second or two to respond to a simple click in iTunes. My library is 335 gigabytes in size, and i.e., to change from TV shows to music. This is my main application. It's becoming tedious to use. I also have to wait a second or two before other applications like Photoshop or Dashboard respond. I put this down to there being frequently cached in virtual memory. The other main application I use is Handbrake. It runs all day, every day, to convert my DVDs, and I noticed I have to restart every two or three days because the system becomes unstable. Nothing I can put my finger on, but it comes, with a, but it comes around with a good restart. As with all computers that you buy years ago when they were extremely powerful, it now seems very slow. I've heard that more RAM makes a difference, and I don't doubt it. But to add RAM in my case, the lowest amount that is viable is 2 gigs, and G5 RAM is very expensive. Cost them about 300 bucks. In your estimation, how much of a performance boost could I expect if I increased my RAM to a total of 3 gigs? If I could expect a noticeable difference, I might invest the money at this time while I wait to get my Mac Pro. With everything you're doing on that machine, man, I mean, you're running Handbrake all the time. You've got Photoshop open. You've got a massive iTunes library open. You've only got one gig of RAM. I, I would, before I even got to the bottom of this email, I'm thinking, wow, this guy needs RAM. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it, my thought was if it's taking a second or two to switch between apps, unless the processor is running at full tilt with something that's causing that, my guess is it's exactly what you thought there, Jason. You're swapping from virtual memory and more RAM will mitigate that. John, I thought I thought I thought you were at the ready with something to say, so I just paused. Uh. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, there was one thing I was going to mention, but I, I think I may take it back now that I heard what he said. Was um, you know, well, first off, you know, I would see, you know, how much work is the hard drive doing? Mm. You know, check swap files and all that, and check the RAM to see, you know, is it getting maxed out? You know, using something like our PAL menu meters. Uh, I was going to suggest, but then I took it back because he said he had a RAID striped system, which typically striping increases your performance. So yep. I'd be wary, actually, of doing a optimization, especially with a RAID drive. Maybe I'm just being oh, overcautious. Yeah, but, that's right. You know, if, uh, it's just I've – and I haven't done it in a while, the, the you know, optimizing a drive. But I always get nervous because if it doesn't work out, then you got a brick. <laughs> Yeah, and that doesn't make anybody happy. Yeah. Um, the the other thing I do is maybe we want to check uh, again with activity monitor or menu meters. Some it, it concerns me hearing about um, you know some of the the performance problems here. Um, you know, waiting around to click on things and all that. So I you know what what is taking up all the time? I don't know if that occurred to you, but it's like you know it shouldn't take that long to acknowledge a click. To me, well, that's like a, a Big problem. He says he's running handbrake though all the time, and what? And of course, well, handbrake. In the background. This yeah. Right. So you could use a utility like I think there's a a, a GUI utility called Renicer for OS X. Yeah, I was going to think dumb down the process. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, re-nicer, and I just found it here. It it it'll it'll do exactly that. It dumbs down the process or sets its priority, allows you to to set its priority to be either higher or lower than than the, the right. default for all processes. And for this, I would set it to as low as you could go if it's just in the background doing things. What what that'll right. do, it's a, it's a Unix command, nice, and uh, and it allows you to set a process to be nicer about letting other processes run, and. Uh, and and it, it works very well. It can make a huge difference in performance. And then when there's nothing else running, the the process, even if it's got a nice level of even twenty, which is the the highest, meaning the the most reserved, if there's nothing else happening, it's going to eat the whole processor. But as soon as you need something else, it it gets right out of the way. So I, I would try Renicer. Uh, you can find it at Mac Updater Version Tracker, and I'm sure at this point there's one right in the show notes and or in the enhanced feed. Thanks to Michael Johnston of iPhoneAlley.com. So there you go. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, some of the things we, we suggested before will, will help you. So, you know, if you look at the process utilization, is Handbrake uh, taking up all that time? Yep. All right. Let's, uh, okay. let's take the next one. Here we go. Hi, Dave. I hope things are well. Hey, and I'll think about hey. saying hello to John. This is <laughs> Scott in D.C. Um, I do have a, actually an interesting question, or at least I think it's interesting, I want to uh, tag a bunch of pictures uh, with its EXIS data, but uh, my camera puts some information in, but it only puts some of the information in uh, on transfer between the Mac and the camera for some reason. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the Mac doing it or what. I'm not getting the... EXIS information when I take the card and put it into a USB uh, a card reader that I stick into the PC card slot. So what I'd like to do is go through and bulk change the or bulk set the EXIS data. How do I do that uh, if I'm not using those pictures in iPhoto? I guess I should have said that in advance. Now the pictures are not in iPhoto. Um, they're separate. I don't want them in my iPhoto library, but I do want the XIF data set. Also, I create some composite pictures of some things that I'm cataloging for personal use, and I'd like to have the XIF data set on those too. Now, I found programs that will do it individually, but if you're talking about setting, you know, 40 or 50 different images, Doing it one at a time is not fun. So if you could, if you know of a way to do this, it would greatly, greatly be appreciated. Thanks, Dave, and maybe thanks to John. Bye. <laughs> I know who that was. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Take it. So where are we going to take this? All right. So EXIF, let's talk about what the heck that is. EXIF is, uh, I guess what we would call metadata. Uh -huh. And pretty much a, a whole bunch of different camera, camera manufacturers. When you save, of course, when you take a picture, it saves the image data. Uh, but it also saves some additional data in the same file. And it usually gets carried along. Uh, and that's called EXIF, which I think is uh, extended exchangeable image file format or some variation thereof. All right. So what he wants to do, it sounds to me like, is to leverage that data which gets shown in certain applications. 
Yeah, it can have um, things like I mean, it, it has. There's all sorts of stuff. Not only can it have simply the date and time that the picture was taken, it can include the model camera that it was taken with and the shutter speed and all of that stuff, right? Exposure. Uh, yeah, there you go. Exposure. Yeah, yeah. bit to, all sorts of, and, and it can get very, very detailed. And it's actually an excellent tool for mm -hmm. uh, budding digital photographers, especially to look at your pictures and say. Why does this picture look like garbage? Oh, because, you know, I didn't have the exposure right or the shutter speed or, or whatever. So it's a great tool for that. But it can also contain things at the very minimum, as Dave suggested, the time and date. So um, this actually sent us on a hunt, right? Because neither one of us little hunt. Yeah, knew the answer here. The, the, yeah, the first thing that you jumped to was mm -hmm. the first thing. <laughs> oh, graphic converter, of yeah. course. Doesn't do it. Well. No, it, it shows it. And Graphic Converter um, is one of my favorite programs for dealing with uh, with image files, and Dave and I have used it. And also, we, so we both suspected, you know, it does everything, and it shows the data, but but we couldn't, with a cursory examination or yeah, a well, detailed, it, uh, yeah, find I'd... a way to script something based on the EXIF data. Right. Yeah, it Graphic Converter is somewhere. It's got a great convert batch convert feature, but... There was nothing in there for EXIF data. So that kind of sent us on a little bit of a hunt. And I had found something called Imagine Photo, which claims to be very, very Apple scriptable. And I'm thinking that that is the, uh, that, that, I mean, that's what you need here. I mean, it, they, they right in the, in the docs here, they talk about that a large subset of the EXIF metadata can be written to image files. Well, that, that's what you want. And with it being Apple scriptable, you can set a, uh, you know, a loop to run through a f file and boom, or a folder rather, and you're good to go. That, I, you, you said you found something else, right, John? Yeah, I found another thing. Uh, hold on here. <laughs> okay, it was uh, Photo Info Editor. So okay. I was poking around a bit, and I found uh, a package which uh, I believe it's it's Pay. So we're going to give it a, a try, but it specifically mentions being able to work on uh, the EXIF data. So that's another one we're uh, we're going to link to. I'm All right, here EXIF. But yeah, it's it's contained in the file. So, um, and we found a few more between me and Dave. Uh, but yeah, we see what Scott's doing. He wants to embed that and then manipulate the files afterwards. And I was also thinking, do you want to do this with maybe Spotlight or oh, or some not other Spotlight? Why would he want to be married to that heaven-forsaken tool? No, no way. Well, being the smart guy he is, yeah, I imagine he wants it in a, a platform-neutral yes uh, format, which EXIS Spot, is. is Spotlight as, is, is going to get. Spotlight is almost, you know, platform antagonistic toward the Mac, right? It's it's almost useful, but really slow. Yeah, but it's yeah. slow, really slow. Yeah. Oh, God. Always getting in the way. All right, let's talk about something else strange, shall we? Hey, John and Dave. This is Tom from Escondido, California. Love your show. Menu meters rocks. Use it <laughs> every day. Anyway, I've got a problem with my iMac, my Intel iMac from early 2006 that I need your help on. I've had historically three FireWire drives connected for my cloned backup as well as storage of a variety of media, mainly movies of my kids and things, as music and other things. And I recently got a screaming deal on a USB 2.0 half a terabyte drive to add to the system to run my backup media for my new Apple TV. So I installed the drive and moved my media over to it and built another clone of it on another uh, backup drive. And I found that once I go to try to reboot, 
no matter how I try to set this up using the option key or selecting from the control panel, I cannot reboot with that USB 2.0 drive connected. Now I've put this into the discussion boards on the Apple discussions in three different areas with no success. Now, I have, to, I have to figure out a way to boot with this drive because I don't want to have to unmount and disconnect the drive. Now, you have to physically disconnect the drive, not just unmount it, for the system to uh, reboot. It hangs on the gray screen before the Apple logo appears. It'll just sit there for half an hour or more and do nothing. And as soon as you shut it down completely by holding the power button and unplug the drive, it'll boot up normally just fine. Plug the, the USB drive back in, it mounts, and you're ready to go. My problem is that I reboot several times a week, uh, not only for maintenance, but also my son likes to play a LEGO Star Wars game that I have on my Windows partition on the other side. And boy, it's a hassle to have to remember to unmount, disconnect, redo the, and redo that process every time. So I'm figuring there's something in the boot sequence that's not recognizing this USB drive in some way and just hanging right there. Have you ever experienced anything like this? I haven't had any luck figuring anything out, and I think my only option is going to be to go out and buy another firewire enclosure, drag that half a terabyte drive out of that USB box, and stick it in a firewire enclosure and, and go on my merry way. But there's got to be a way to tell the system, just ignore the USB bus when you're going to reboot. Love your show, and I hope you can help me out. Thanks a lot. There is one way to tell the system that there's to ignore the USB bus, and that's to use a non-Intel Mac, because prior to getting Intel Macs, USB was not available as a boot option. However, though he didn't, Tom didn't say what model computer he was using. At least I don't think he did. He did say that on the other side of that partition, he had Windows. So I've got to assume that he's running an Intel Mac. As such, that machine will look at USB on the way up. And though this drive may have worked very well with PowerPC-based Macs, I think it's just a a bad enclosure. I mean, I think the 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 fir the firmware or the the circuitry on the not on the drive, but on the enclosure that's taking the drive and and converting it to USB two or translating it to USB two rather. I think it's just not compatible with with what you're doing there. What do you think, John? Um, I try a couple of things. One is that on most of the newer Macs, I think all of them, uh, if you hold down Option or Alt when you boot, you'll yeah. get a version of a boot manager. Yeah, he said uh, he, he tried, tried that. that. Yeah. Okay, he tried that and he didn't see it. So that, that, that to me, um, okay, we discussed this. That to me, yeah, I mean, having diagnosed a uh, USB problem fairly recently, which involved a device that would basically cause the machine, in this case a PC, to wedge, upon boot because there was something not quite right in the way it described itself to the computer, I would mm. lean towards a firmware or USB, which would probably be the same. You know, if you have a firmware update, I would assume they'd, they'd uh, update that. But the device may not be reporting itself accurately to the computer and just preventing it from booting. And I've seen this uh, happen with a, you know, a printing type device, so I imagine it could be possible with a uh, hard drive device as well. Now there is something in the uh, developer tool, so this gets this kind of pegs the geek meter, and I don't think I don't know if I have it right in front of me, but it's it's a I think it's called USB tool, but it's something that will show you what each USB device is telling the computer about its configuration, and if you've got a good eye, you may be able to uh, see something in there that uh, you know would lead you to to that conclusion. What would they be looking for in general, in particular? Um, what you what find? I saw in this yeah. case was it would. It would identify the number of descriptors to follow 
the initial block of data. So initial block of data in a USB device says, okay, here's a few things I want you to know about me. By the way, there may be some more data following. Ah, um, okay. Oh, it's called USB Prober. So if you install the, uh, if you go to the Apple developer site, uh, and uh, they, they will offer this, uh, something called USB Prober, it will let you go on the USB bus and really, um, you know, show you a, a bunch of information about every device. You actually click it, it's called Bus Probe, and then it shows you every device, what it's called, and a lot of specifics. And if you look, yeah, it's beyond the scope of the show. Um, <laughs> so I can point to files talking about how to read a USB descriptor and to, to know whether it's formed properly or not. Um, but it's a really nice tool to, to really understand what's going on in your USB devices. So I, I think I you think don't want to Tom, do that, but it's yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think for Tom though, I mean, yeah, not for Tom. We are well. We already know there's a problem, right? It, uh, and and presumably, I, I guess I guess the, the the last thing to try would be either try it on another Intel Mac and mm -hmm. see if it's exhibiting the same symptoms. If it is, then it's definitely the the hardware on the uh, drive enclosure. If not. Uh, try resetting the PRAM and the NVRAM on the Mac. PRAM, of course, command option PR on reboot and wait. And, and you probably want to unplug the drive while you're doing this. Wait until it re you hear the reboot chime a couple of times and then release. Uh, the PRAM is command option OF. And then I believe from the menu it's reset dash. Set say all. that. Yeah, dash all. That's right. Reset dash all. Enter. And then that should... Uh, that should take care of it, if in fact that's what the problem is. But I don't think it is. I I agree with you, John. I I think it's, you know, uh, well, you said you got it cheap, Tom. So you know, there's that whole bad firmware, maybe bad power. I've seen this too. Actually, oh, I remember yeah. we that's had, right. We did. We had that one issue a couple of months ago. We had a problem where I was half right. <laughs> I thought it was a power problem, and as it turns out, when when the drive was sent back to the company, they said yes, there was an issue with the uh, the power circuitry on the mm -hmm. drive, which made the uh, I think it was fireware interface uh, marginal or just uh, unpredictable. We got a uh, we got a geeky question about the iPhone that, of course, Ooh. we don't have yet. Uh, so anything we throw out here what? is speculation. But we have a, a geeky question about it, and I thought it would be good to talk about. It. So here we go. Hey, geek. Got a <laughs> quick question about the iPhone. The iPhone uses this. Um, search mechanism I've seen in the commercial where they're looking for calamari and it gives it, it gives you the closest possible location that might have some calamari but I'm wondering how does the iPhone know where you are is it using GPS technology or is it just triangulating your location via um, you know different uh, cellular towers if you have any insight on that, if it, uh, I would appreciate it. All right. Uh, I don't know that the iPhone has GPS in it. It certainly hasn't been announced that way. However, there are plenty of cell phones that do. In fact, I thought I had heard that all cell phones released these days have, have some sort of GPS capability in them. The question is whether or not you as the user can tap into it and, and use it for your own uh, devices. Yeah. That's a good hacking problem because I know that, that like my phone, for example, the V710, yep. which is probably Stone Age right. by Fe now. Army, U.S. Army field phone, <laughs> World War II surplus. Because <laughs> the, the TMO staff knows how I like to keep phones as long as possible. Oh, my gosh. 
We won't talk about my let's, car. Let's not just go rolled into over this. Two hundred one thousand miles. Nice. <laughs> it's still working, but um, but that phone has a screen where you can say E nine one one only or general purpose uh, use of the uh, GPS. Facility. And yeah, I think for for nine one one, if no, for no no other application, pretty much every cell phone sold these days has a thing where they can kind of figure out where you are. So yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm I not mean, sure that nice that's truly GPS though, is it? Well, you know, it could be. Yeah, as as, as was suggested in the call, I mean, you, you could get a, a you know triangulate between towers. I mean, yeah, each of the towers tracks you and knows who you are and a signal strength. So yeah, if you know the terrain and all that. With uh, you know, triangulation or whatever, yep. the more signals, the better. You can get a pretty good idea of where people are. But but I think there's a rudimentary GPS circuit because as long as you can see three satellites, I think it is. You need a minimum of three. I believe that's to right. Lock on yeah. somebody. Um, yeah. So we don't know. But we'll we'll speculate. We'll speculate. <laughs> I, I was going to say you didn't get yours, Dave. Uh, no, they, they I think there was something wrong with the FedEx. <clears throat> oh, okay. Yeah. I'll call them up and get a rush, but I'm perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So next week, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to do a show or not. I would love to because, of course, I'm going to be out at WWDC. I'll I'll be at the keynote Monday, uh, assuming all goes as planned. Um, and then there's various sessions that I'll attend that, uh, yeah. that actually do fall under the Apple NDA, but uh, but the keynote doesn't, and, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about after that. The question is, can John and I hook up and, and actually sync up time-wise to make yeah. a show happen? So we'll have to... Well, also, uh, I'm thinking, you know, the best time would probably be after one of the uh, after-hours events, and they plied you with, uh, with <laughs> drinks. Then we should have a little chat about what you really thought. Okay, well, we'll uh, maybe we'll, tr you'll... we'll try that for Monday night. But no. uh, <laughs> it's, it's well, I don't know. It, it, you know, the schedule, this is my first WWDC. Uh, if any of you are going, I know I've, I've connected with some of you already, but uh, would love to hook up with, with any of you that, that might be out there. But uh, it is my first one, so I'm not sure how the, how the schedules are going to go each day. Um, I've got a rough idea, of course. But, uh, of course, being three hours away from John, three hours, but not away, but uh, yeah. you know what I mean. Dude, it's going to be nuts. It might be nuts, yeah, but uh, but maybe we'll we'll try and and slot a time that if it works, it works, and we can you know do a quick even if yeah. it's a fifteen maybe minute I'll chat. I'll come up with a list of uh, questions. Oh, there. hey, there yeah. you go. That's right. I'll interview you. That's wow. something. that's great. That's actually perfect. Especially let's after. talk to the man on the street or <laughs> Dave Hamilton. <laughs> uh, again, actually, we, I'd like to know. Oh, I've never been to a WWDC. They're using um uh, the other uh, Moscone. Uh, Moscone West. West, yeah, where West, they where yeah. they did the keynote uh, in in January, yep. yeah, and they herded us. <laughs> they did hurt us, yeah. They didn't hurt us; they herded us. Herd, that's right. As in cow. iPhonealley.com is Michael Johnston's site. I imagine things are going to be heating up there over the next couple of weeks, uh, and then after that subsides a little bit. September will be right around the corner, and the podcast and new media expo is September twenty eighth to thirtieth. Cashfly Hosting is where you've downloaded this show. The podcast marketplace this month includes the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebone Software, one free download from Audible as long as you click the link, and Page Sender 4 from Smile on My Mac. The Backbeat Media Podcast Network is where you would go to sponsor this show. I don't have anything else. Do you have anything you know, else, John? What you, it's your fault. What did I do this weekend? I watched oh. the entire first season of Sopranos because <laughs> got me hooked with the first one you got from Netflix. Yeah. Lisa so and I. Unfortunately, I have a nice local 
video store. And the, the second I went in, it was Sunday, you know. He, yeah. he saw me twice, and he's like, Sopranos, huh? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're going to be here. Rent the whole, I forget, I think they have season four. We're, we're only about halfway through with the uh, with mm-hmm. the season here. But yeah, Lisa and John and I watched the first episodes uh, when we were in Vermont last weekend. So we got each other hooked yeah. on it. Yeah. And we can, uh, well, we can, you know, kind of uh, resonate with, the whole—I don't, I don't think we should say too much more. Uh, I'll just say that <laughs> you know, I'm—I'm I'm constantly reminded of of my old home in Connecticut, and we'll just leave it. That's why I should say you. Uh, that's all I'm saying, man. I—I I have no interest in heading down that path. Because uh, I because right now it's all good. All right. Uh, so that's it. Yes, that's it. We have to. Be, that has to be it. There's no question in my mind. I can feel it. That's really it. It's the end. What do you think, John? Do you feel it too? You know, I have. Uh, we use the Audio Hijack Pro to record this show, and Ammo the Amoeba sits right here on my desk, uh, Ammo. helping us. He sits right next to Enemyan, which is from the Fleet Company. I'll leave it at that. Any man has a gun, so he uh, doesn't get caught by... Actually, the amoeba has a gun, so he doesn't get caught by any man. Don't get caught. Made up.